Hello, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Real Perspective, a podcast that has risen from the ashes of the before and after show. Um, if you are just joining us, which is all of you since this is the first episode, this is a podcast based on a YouTube show that was born out of a podcast. <laughs> Got it? <laughs> um my name is MJ Smith, and I am the co-host of Real Perspective. And I'm Michael Moray, and I'm also the co-host of Real Perspective. Now, what Real Perspective is, is an audio version of a YouTube show called Real Perspective. And what that show was, was this sort of macro-level view of things going on in the entertainment industry, specifically film industry, zeitgeist so you know it was shorter it was about 15 to 30 minutes depending on what the topic was and we would take these sort of big level looks at things and that's still going to happen on the podcast version however on the podcast version we will also be talking about the film that inspired the macro level talk um so, for example, one episode we did of the YouTube show was, is Disney ruining Star Wars? And we did that in light of the Han Solo movie shakeups. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there wasn't a really a movie to watch that inspired it. Um, but th- those are the types of talks we'll be having. And then we'll be talking about the movie that kind of um, brought us into what we were talking about. Um And this episode is Blade Runner 2049, and the macro-level aspect that we're going to be talking about is the career and films of Denis Villeneuve, who is a French-Canadian director, uh, I believe, Um, and he's got four or five films under his belt at this point. Yeah, I think it's five. Yeah, I I think it's five, too. I've seen four of them. Yeah, um, the other ones, so we got Prisoners, mm-hmm. we got Sicario, we got Arrival, we got Blade Runner, and Enemy. Enemy's yes. the first one? Enemy's the second one. Oh, Prisoners second one? was the first okay. one. But Prisoners and Enemy came out the same year. Oh, okay. Um, but Enemy was like a much more, because it's like much artier than Prisoners is, uh-huh. it was more of a limited release, and that's the only one I haven't seen. Okay. Which is crazy, because I don't like nearly any of the man's films. <laughs> <laughs> um... So he's he, he kind of burst onto the scene not too long ago. No, I'd say like in the last two years, basically, with Sicario. Yeah. So Sicario was kind of his big debut in terms of accolades and getting real big stars mm-hmm. attached to his films, I feel like. Well, Prisoners had Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh it, Jackman in it. It did. It did. But I didn't hear the kind of nearly as much buzz about that that I did about Sicario for some reason. It's true. It didn't have as much mainstream appeal, but there was a lot of buzz in like film nerd circles. Yeah. So they, like, it was a really big like debut for him. Uh-huh. And a lot of people saw it that are like cinephile-y people. And then those people went turned around and saw Enemy the same year, and that like solidified them for them. And then when Sicario came out, it had like an easier premise to swallow of like kind of badass action movie, mm-hmm. even though it super wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, except for like maybe one or two scenes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that like really took him off. And then Arrival was a really big hit yeah. too. And Blade Runner is kind of a flop financially, at least mm-hmm. um, critically it's doing really well. And with most audiences who see it, they tend to like it, if not outright love it. Um, 
his films are either incredibly short or punishingly long. There's no in between. With him. <laughs> yeah. Cause I feel like Sicario is about a solid 90 minutes, isn't it? Or is it just like, or like two hours? It's something reasonable. Yeah. It feels very brisk, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, yes. Yeah. Then we got on the other end of the spectrum with Blade Runner. <laughs> well, Blade Runner is two hours and 43 minutes and Sicario, no, not Sicario. Uh, Prisoners is two hours and 25 minutes or something. Yeah. Which is outrageous. Um, and Arrival just feels like it's forever. Yeah. I feel like it's just over two hours, but I don't like that movie. Um, so Mike, how many of, uh, Denis Villeneuve's films have you seen and where do you land on them? I have seen Sicario. Okay. I have seen Arrival and now I've seen most recently Blade Runner, which is the main subject of this podcast. Right. So we'll hold off on that. We will. So I have liked all three of the movies that he's made, although I think I like them Less with each one. Okay. Yeah. So he's kind of the new it guy in Hollywood. He mm-hmm. kind of feels like the heir to Christopher Nolan in some he's ways. A, yeah, he's, he's a little artier. Like yeah, he's yeah. being treated like that. He's a little artier. His movies are a little less accessible. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, he seems to kind of have the same aspirations of, in mm-hmm. terms of trying to be taken seriously. And he's going in a little bit of an opposite direction than Nolan where he's been doing like these small films so he can go and do these big franchise pictures. Whereas Nolan was doing these big franchise pictures to kind of do his own stuff. Yeah. But you kind of have these big blockbuster aspirations in both of them. They want to be taken seriously as award contenders at the same time while being crowd pleasers. Yeah. Uh, And to me, I think he generally succeeds at that. I, like how his movies are they're very self-serious and sometimes i mean i know that you have a problem with some of that they could be a little po-faced even yeah uh but i haven't disliked the movie that he's made yet so i kind of get the hype around them okay so yeah i've seen four of his movies and there are only two of them that i would actually say that i like one of them i would say that i love and one of them I would say that I like. And so I, I, I've seen Prisoners, which is like, okay. None of his movies are bad. Mm-hmm. I should say that. Like, right out the gate. None of his movies are technically bad. Right. Um, but he he runs into a lot of problems that I have with guys like, um, well, like, accepting Dunkirk, recent Nolan stuff, but mainly um Nolan and Vienna Wave, I think, take a lot of cues from Kubrick. Yes. And I'm not super into Stanley Kubrick as a director. Uh, he's got some hits and misses. Once again, none of his films technically bad. They look amazing. Like, there's no denying that Cooper could make something look great no matter what it was. And there's also no denying that, like, everything feels like him. Yes. You know? And that's how I feel when I watch a Danny v- Vienna Wave movie. Like... Everything feels like a Denny V in a wave movie, but it may not be my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Prisoners is like an okay movie. It's got some really good performances from everyone. Paul Dano's in it, and I really like that guy. Um, he plays this like autistic guy that gets tortured by Hugh Jackman for most of the movie, and it's like a bummer. <laughs> All his movies are bummers, mostly. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, whereas I think Nolan's a little more hopeful. Yeah. Vienna Wave's like a misanthrope through and through. Yeah. Uh, Nolan knows that when you punish an audience for two hours, you kind of need to deliver a sliver of hope <laughs> yeah. by the end of it to make it kind of worth it. And Vienna Wave isn't interested 
in that. <laughs> yeah. And then I've seen Sicario, which rules. I yeah. love that movie. Why don't you talk about Sicario for just one sec? Sure. Um, okay. So the plot of it is basically drug war with Mexico. Mm-hmm. And then there's trying to get people to assassinate the drug kingpin, kind mm-hmm. of. And then there's this chick who's played by Emily Blunt. She's mm-hmm. kind of thrown into a situation where she's trying to figure out... We're, it's like the DEA, I think. Yeah, she's other... with the DEA. Yeah, okay. And then she's trying to figure out like all these sort of interests between the U.S. government and the Mexican government and the cartels. Mm-hmm. And she's way out of her depth for most of that movie. And it's terrifying. Yeah. Because like, everything's kind of granted from her perspective. And she doesn't know what's going on. And the audience doesn't know what's going on. And there's a lot of tension that results from that and mm-hmm. there's some really great sequences that come out of that movie yeah from and that. really good performances all the way around yeah emily, emily blunt's like my favorite actress working right now she's like great yeah she's great <laughs> pretty much anything she does yeah she's especially good in this movie yeah and josh brolin's really good yeah. they have like this quote chemistry i guess because they're kind of at odds with each other yeah. the whole movie but that only works because they bounce off each other really well uh-huh. Um, and then Benicio del Toro is really good in it too. He's a total badass. He's like he delivers, man. Yeah. But also, that movie is one of the most cynical things I've ever seen. Yeah, I came out of it feeling like that was a really good movie, and now I'm super bummed. Yeah, yeah. It's like this, like it's like the, it illustrates the hopelessness of like the drug war, but also it's a little bit of an allegory for rape, and uh, it's like it's a really heavy movie. And it was written by Taylor Sheridan, who did Hell or High Water, which yeah. is another excellent movie, mm-hmm. um, and Wind River, which is a kind of okay movie. Um, but it's not also not bad. Um, but I think Vina Wave, with that kind of extreme cynicism, does really, really, really well. Um, which leads into the next movie that we're going to talk about, which is Arrival, yeah. which is my least favorite Danny Vina Wave movie because I think it's incredibly disingenuous mm-hmm. and I think it's really cold. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really cold movie, even though it's supposed to have this really big emotional gut punch. Yes. Cause that movie is, is, is it's this kind of sci-fi movie about how we communicate, um, about how we would communicate with an alien species. But sci-fi is never really about the future or the aliens. It's about us. So it's about how we communicate across our language barriers and across our borders and stuff which like that's a really good theme yeah it is um that's a really good theme for a movie to take on i think especially now that's a it's a really prescient theme uh but it's too hopeful for someone like being a wave who doesn't like people that much i feel like uh that's my honestly my main hang up with it that is like kind of boring uh, <laughs> um it's it's real slow it's real methodical and the payoff isn't worth it to me because uh, when it happens, I kind of felt like, oh, that's it. And I also kind of felt like this feels unearned because Denny V in a wave doesn't really understand the emotional stuff that has to, the emotional work was not put into this payoff. So, okay, the twist of the movie, spoilers, is basically that the entire movie, you think you're watching it linearly, but it turns out that you've been watching parts of it in a non-linear fashion mm-hmm. because the aliens are teaching humanity how to think in a non-linear way across like all time, like back and forth. And that's the knowledge that saves both the aliens and also humanity and mm-hmm. kind of leads them to like an enlightened state. And you kind of got the impression from the beginning of the movie that Amy Adams' character is dealing with the loss of her son, mm-hmm. um, who died because of some sort of disease. Yeah. Um, 
and you kind of figure out later in the film that well that's something that's going to happen and then she makes the choice to go and love Jeremy Renner's character um, despite knowing that it's going to lead to their son who will die and then he will leave her and you know yeah but also she doesn't tell him that she has this information no which is the reason why he leaves her yeah and so i guess the theme of it is she chooses to kind of live a life of pain knowing that she can partake in like some joyful aspects while they last mm -hmm. it worked for me sure but i get why it doesn't work for you because i can go and basically say that the movie doesn't support it nearly as well as it thinks it does yeah because it feels like you don't understand why Amy Adams loves Jeremy Renner. Like, mm -hmm. you don't see that relationship really develop. No. He's so, good in the movie, He's good the in the movie. Um, and, and she's really good in the yeah. movie, too. But you don't understand their relationship, so you don't get the f impact of the loss of that relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also kind of don't get into her psychology nearly enough to care about her decision to, like, basically have a son and engage in suffering mm -hmm. while like partaking in joy so to me you're kept at an arm's length from the characters mm -hmm. because the movie's trying to withhold the twist mm -hmm. and the twist is good but because it's being withheld from you you can't get involved in the emotional aspect of it yes i agree and i think the biggest thing that bugs me about all of that is actually how the grief terminates on itself in that there's no life after this grief for this woman Mm -hmm. That's it. Like the, her life begins and ends with this grief as far as we know her. Mm -hmm. And like, that's not how grief works. Like she's still going to hit, like, unless she is, you know, murdered or kills herself, her life is going to continue beyond this grief. And she's going to find some sort of healing down the road. And like, I think it's a real disservice to not illustrate that, that like, it just doesn't go far enough into the future. It just kind of ends with like, and then dead kid. And it's like, <laughs> yes, but like people come out of that, you yeah. know, people come out of the, on the other side of that completely changed for the rest of their lives. There's no doubt about that, but they come out of it. Yeah. It doesn't go and show a complete picture. Yeah. I understand. That. It's a really incomplete feeling movie, yeah. which is crazy to me because it really wants you to think it's this complete thing. Yes, I see what you're saying about that. Um, and it feels like maybe they're copying out so they can go and get some tearjerker out of you. Yes. Um, although, I mean, I could easily see a way where Spielberg made some saccharine ending to it, too, where it goes further into the future mm -hmm. and then she's like happy and she's still living a life despite knowing these things. And, right. You know, so there's a balance to be played. I mean, Spielberg yeah. probably would have played it correctly, in my yeah. opinion. But, yeah, probably. But he probably would have gotten blasted by the critics who like the bittersweet nonsense. Yeah. But see, there's no sweetness to the bitter in that movie to me. It's, it's just, just kind of bitter. Yeah, it's just like, and then sad times. It feels like it's about 80% bitter, 20% sweet. Okay. Work, it worked for me, though, because mm -hmm. I liked that idea being tackled. Because mm -hmm. I still, as somebody who, like, is going through, like, who's gone through, like, tough times or yeah. whatever... It appealed to like where my mental state was at that time. Yeah. While I recognize that it's a little disingenuous because eventually you, you don't get over it, but mm -hmm. you 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 learn from it. Yeah. So the tough time you're referencing is exactly why I don't like the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're both talking about the same thing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, that, yeah, that's the exact reason. Like because I've had that experience, like I don't. I feel like the movie presents an incomplete picture of grief. Yeah. 
Um, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that's why I don't like that movie. But, like, there's nothing technically wrong with no. the movie itself. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's the performance whatever. is good. The tension's good. Yeah. Um, the idea, the concept, I think, is good. Yeah. Solid. Some of the effects are a little whack, which yeah. is weird because it's not, like that effects driven no but like when she goes into the alien world it looks really bad yeah it's kind of goofy looking yeah like the cg's just so terrible in that part yeah. um but that like and so sicario and arrival were kind of hits yeah like they did really well financially they did really well critically most of the you know everyday audiences uh that went and saw those movies really enjoyed them which is really strange to me um, you know, it's few and far between that you find someone who actually dislikes either one of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so now he's, he's done Blade Runner and this seems to be kicking off sort of a new, um, kind of career path for him of making really smart sci-fi or really thinky sci-fi mm-hmm. at the very least uh really ponderous sci-fi <laughs> um but attaching it to kind of franchises and stuff that have already existed because uh my understanding is he's tackling dune after this yeah or he um, wants to at least he's yeah. <laughs> he's been talking about doing a dune movie for a right. while um but he so on the way to dune he stopped at blade runner and he he did this movie, Blade Runner 2049, which is a continuation of Blade Runner, which is now, what, 35 years old? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this movie that's about... Uh, it picks up 30-something years. I, I think it's 30 exactly years after the events of the first Blade Runner. Um, you know, with uh, Ray Batty, Roy Batty, and Deckard, and that mystery there and we pick up 30 years later there's been a blackout that replicants caused that caused los angeles to shut down Mm -hmm. um and and replicants are like bioengineered they're like androids kind of yeah they're bioengineered like human robot hybrids yeah um, they have skeletons so I'm, yeah i'm a little bit more unclear about them than i used to be. <laughs> yeah but anyway yeah it's it, yeah we'll get into all that yeah. um and so since then they become illegal but then this guy named neander wallace has come in and made them legal again through a lot of like shady backroom dealings and some replicants work for uh the police uh, on a special unit called Blade Runner, where they go and hunt down other replicants whose model number predates the blackout. Yeah. And they kill them. And so, uh, but they're replicants too, so they're kind of hated within their police departments. Um, you know, skin job is kind of the slur that's thrown at them uh, a lot. So Ryan Gosling is one of these replicants, and he is tasked with... M- killing this pre-blackout replicant and on the property of this pre-blackout replicant they find the remains of rachel who is sean young's character from the first blade runner and they find out that she was pregnant and not only was she pregnant she had given birth Mm -hmm. which should not be possible since she was a replicant right and those they're all created by other people by 
you know, a process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're manufactured yeah. uh, people. They're manufactured beings. Yeah. And so then Ryan Gosling's character is charged with uh, not solving this, but covering it up. He has to go and murder the child. Yeah. And uh, along the way, this kind of leads him to believe he may be the child mm. uh, and it leads him to cross paths with Deckard, who's Harrison Ford's character from the original film. And they kind of team up, uh, not, not even necessarily to take down the no. corrupt powers <laughs> that be, but just to kind of figure um, it all out. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, Blade Runner, the original is known for its ambiguity and Blade Runner 2049 continues in that spirit. There's a lot of like open-ended questions. I, kind of hesitate to say unanswered um but there's a lot of open-ended questions that the film leaves you with and that's gonna stick in a lot of different ways with a lot of different people um you know the original blade runner is considered a science fiction classic it's got this ambiguous ending about whether or not harrison ford's character is or is not a replicant um and you know it aesthetically affected sci-fi forever yeah, basically. Uh, it's a bad movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Spoilers, it isn't that good? <laughs> yeah, uh, so first Blade Runner we covered on the previous podcast, um, on the Martian episode on of the Before and After Show. I really disliked it. I think it's a really boring movie. Yes. I don't think Ridley Scott's that good of a director, which we've called, talked about before. Yeah, well, I mean, my opinion is he's hit and miss. But yeah, well, yeah. yeah. So, um, but that movie itself is not worthy of the accolades it gets outside of the aesthetic yes. stuff because it looks great like looks the great. effects are really cool and, and it still holds up from that standpoint yeah um, there's no denying the impact that it had yeah which cut did you watch because you just watched it before you saw final okay yeah okay so famously this movie has three cuts five well yeah okay because there's like work print and other things like well, that there's theatrical directors ultimate work print and final yeah okay so <laughs> I watched the last of them because yeah. Ridley Scott doesn't have control of his movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's another subject. Ridley Scott really needs to have a conversation with Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but I think it's considered to be one of the, the better ones. That's considered kinda, the best one. Okay. That and Director's Cut are yeah. kind of the two. Um, the movie's very slow-paced. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I'm it's not, not that long. It's just no. real slow. And that's the thing is that like it's less than two hours, mm-hmm. I think, but... It just feels slow. Like, if someone walks upstairs, most movies are like a Bridget. So it's like, you see him walk up for a second, and then it goes and cuts to him at the top. Mm-hmm. This movie shows every single step. And, like, it does that for everything. Like, an elevator ride uh-huh. takes the entire time. And so it just feels like, okay, come on. And I am not someone who has ADHD or mm-hmm. anything like that. Like, I can watch a slow-paced, talky film. That movie has put me to sleep, like, three times. <laughs> Like, I finally, like, sat through and watched it all the way through for this. But, mm. yeah. Yeah. The original Blade Runner is this really... And I've seen the theatrical cut and the director's cut, and the theatrical cut is straight trash. Yeah. Like, I don't know how it... It was considered a flop when it came out. It didn't do well financially. Mm. Uh, famously, the theatrical cut has this sort of noir voiceover, and it might be the worst thing I've ever seen in a movie. It just... It reminds me, this is a real deep cut, it reminds me of 
uh, Irvin Kirshner's commentary for Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> where he doesn't give any real insight into what's happening. He just kind of tells you what's happening on screen. It reminds me of Harrison Ford delivering the trailer narration for the Empire Strikes Back for the trailer they had for it. Because Harris, have you seen this? No. Harrison Ford's just like, Join our heroes as they go on complete new adventures. And it's like the most boring, dry possible take of a <laughs> that's trailer. That's so cut. funny. And that's the way the narration is in Blade Runner, in, mm-hmm. in the version that has narration. Yeah, well, and it also just explains what just happened. So yeah. you watch the thing happen, then as the movie kind of transitions and you're on those long staircase right. journeys and those long elevator rides, Harrison Ford's voice comes up, and explains what just happened. <laughs> so you're getting all the information twice, and it's awful. The director's cut takes that out, and it's much better. Um, but I still don't like the movie because I still think it's boring because it's really slow. And I think the movie isn't about nearly as many things as it wants you to think it's about, or as many people think it's about. And it's not nearly as clever as it thinks it is. No, not at all. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. Um, but Blade Runner is undeniably uh, had an effect on filmmaking and movies and generations of filmmakers. And uh, it doesn't need a sequel at all. <laughs> no. There's there's literally no reason for this movie to exist. Yeah. And we made one and it ain't bad. No, it ain't bad. It ain't bad. It's it, long as hell. Yeah. It's good, but not great either. Yeah. So, go ahead. What are your thoughts? So, Blade Runner 2049, I actually prefer it to Blade Runner. Okay. I think it's a better movie. I agree. Um, There's a lot to like, and there's a lot to kind of go, eh, too. But there's nothing to really hate. And there's nothing to really love. Yes. Yes, on all accounts. Besides the cinematography. Oops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Th- yes. Okay. The one thing to love is Roger Deakins' cinematography, which is phenomenal out of this world it's stupid like yeah. it's not it's not even fair no. <laughs> like there the i think the advantage this movie has over the original is that when things do get really slow and boring is you can always just find something cool to look at yeah like it just looks incredible for two hours and 43 minutes yeah, is which is amazing like it was basically a two and a half hour oscar reel for <laughs> deacons just like give him the oscar that Come fool on. better win yeah like i haven't seen a better looking movie this year i agree I, th- it, he does some stuff in this movie man like yeah with lights and shadows and, and water and, yeah yeah it is good yeah is real good um he even gets a chance to redeem himself of the silhouette fight from skyfall yes which i don't like because it's hard to see who's who they it's both kind of chunky guys in suits fighting and you're like go that one i don't know like i know james bond's gonna win this fight so go the one that doesn't fall off the building uh in this one he does a very similar thing but it's lit a lot brighter but it's still pretty shadowy and it's with a male and a female, and so it's pretty easy to distinguish them because the female has a long ponytail. And it looks super cool. It does. It looks great. It does. Um, so this movie going in had three strikes against it for me. One, not super into Denny V in a wave. Two, really don't like Blade Runner. Three, don't like Ryan Gosling when he's not talking. <laughs> um, so it kind of had like a lot of ground to make up for me. And honestly, it did it. Like... Denny V in a wave directed it very capably. Yep. Um, he delivers on the themes that are in the script. 
Um, he does a really good job, like cleverly doing some stuff. It's it, it it is as clever as it thinks it is, which is another advantage it has over Blade Runner. Um, the Blade Runner universe feels a little less crowded in this movie. Like the overpopulation stuff isn't as driven home as it was in the original, but I think it works to adva- its advantage. I like the kind of sparseness of the world um post blackout mm-hmm. i like that uh and then ryan gosling's pretty damn good in the movie yeah he is um he does he's he's got to do a lot of work in this thing like he's in almost every scene yeah. he's in almost every scene except the last scene he probably has about 20 times the screen time of anyone else in the film oh yeah yeah um and he carries it man yeah. like he does a really good job, and he he does that quiet thing really well in this one. It's only mm-hmm. the the second quiet Gosling performance I've really liked. The other being uh, only God forgives the Nicholas Winding Refn movie. Um, it does it, it, thematically. There's a lot going on. There's a lot more meat to it than there is Blade Runner, um, and I think it delivers on all counts. I think the central mystery is interesting, if not always compelling, based on the length of the film. <laughs> yeah. um, you know. I saw it at 11.20 at night uh, on Friday and fell asleep about four times. But I also never lost the plot. Um, I even looked it up and confirmed. Uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is this is just it. Um, Harrison Ford's, like, not bad at it as far as his, like, old man death tour goes. Uh, it's, he's, he's, seems like he cares a lot more than he has recently. And... His screen time is super earned. He shows up two hours into the two hour and 43 minute affair. And like, by the time he shows up, it's not cheap. It's not gimmicky. It doesn't feel forced. It's pretty organic. Um, Yeah, it's like a decent movie. Um, I can understand why some people who love Blade Runner love this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're a fan of Blade Runner, you should go see it. Yeah. Uh, you probably already have, um, but you should go see it. If you love Blade Runner, you'll love this. I think it's a very faithful sequel. Um, I would say almost to a fault. Sure. From the standpoint that it feels a little bit like fan fiction. Okay. Like, what happens if Harrison Ford and the other chick's love child became the most important thing out there? Mm-hmm. Like, that feels like a real fan fiction-y premise to me. Sure. It, it somehow threads the needle mm. and it doesn't feel that way when you're watching it. I think it kind of doubles back on some of that stuff. Yeah. Though. So it like, there's a couple misdirects there. Yeah. Like we'll get into some spoilery stuff in a second, but there, I, I think it's because it kind of like reneges what's going on and like True. spins it in a different way. But yeah, I get how the, like on paper, it sounds kind of fan fiction. On, on paper, it sounds worse than how it plays when you're watching it. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, what did you think, just kind of base level on? Base level, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, cinematography was good. The mood, atmosphere was good. Um, and all that stuff. Now I'm going to get to the length. Yeah. That movie is too long, man. Yeah, it like, is. I'm okay with a movie that has a little bit of sparseness, some contemplativeness to it. Man, like, we come across, like, such, like... ADHD people in this episode, but that's not how I feel like in general about movies. Mm-hmm. I like when a movie takes a chance to go and breathe. And I don't think that every movie that has like a plot this thin um, needs to be short. 
but I don't feel like this movie justified being as long as it was for yeah. the kind of story that it wants to tell. Like, Which is the same problem Blade Runner has. Yeah, I, I just... It's just too thin, man. I feel yeah. the same way about it that I did with... War for the Planet of the Apes, mm. in which we talked about um, in the previous version of a podcast yeah. that we did, um, where that movie felt like it went on too long for the story it wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And like I liked it to a certain point, but then I was kind of just thinking, man, you could have cut off like 30 minutes of this, yeah. and, and nothing of value would have been lost. Yeah. So Yeah, I agree. Like, even Jared Leto, who's like not the worst, like no, he usually I think, is. I think he's fine. Yeah. Um, in it, uh, he only has two scenes and they both go on like three or four minutes too long. Agreed. Yeah. There's like the scene toward the end with Deckard that mm-hmm. just felt like, okay, like if we could have done some more or less with this. Okay. <laughs> so that's where I fell asleep for the longest. Um, so it's kind of spoilery. The, Deckard gets kidnapped by Neander Wallace, who is Jared Leto's character. And they basically try to tempt him into is it te- I, once again I fell asleep into telling the child or they threaten him with sending him to the off-world colonies yeah to if they don't help him do what he, they want him to go and find the child okay. they, but he, the thing is that he doesn't know yeah so to me like that whole the whole tension that scene yeah. is kind of like well, he's kind of an idiot he doesn't know anything so yeah like and so <laughs> uh they tempt him that like they're in their incentive outside of going to the off-world colonies is a recreation of Rachel from the first movie. Mm-hmm. And like I basically fell asleep at the beginning of that scene and woke up when Rachel came out and I was like, I wonder if I missed some stuff. <laughs> and like kinda uh, didn't not really. Not really. No. <laughs> nope. Looked it up and was no. like, alright. Yeah. I gathered that from the context clues that followed the the that scene. Yeah. Um I actually really liked the interaction with the Rachel character. That was good. I yeah. liked that. That mm-hmm. was like some of the best use of that kind of like bringing someone de-aging them whatever yeah. you want to call it even though it wasn't really her that was being de-aged it was some body double they like put CG on but yeah. anyway um that was one of the smarter uses of that storytelling technique because it's like, oh yeah, she's a replicant. They can go and like remake her. Yeah. Um, but also like the little flaw they gave her too yeah. of like she had green eyes. I thought that was really, really well done. Yeah, I agree. And I liked a lot of the imagery and symbolism about eyes, which we can get into mm-hmm. a little bit later. Um, but the rest of that scene just goes on too long. Yeah. And there's just a bunch of scenes that do that where it's almost a little too in love with itself. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that was only detriment to the film and it's a big one like, yeah i think it took it from being like maybe a great movie i don't know it'd be a very good movie yeah say that. a very good movie yeah right. i think that's to, to a good movie yeah just because i feel like it was a little too in love with itself yeah it's true it's true um okay so we'll talk spoilers and themes now which uh there's a lot going on thematically there's a lot of parallels between blade runner and blade runner 2049 um I really liked that we got a confirmation on the replicant thing. Um, that was the big mystery surrounding Blade Runner is, is Deckard a replicant or not? Right out the gate, we find out Blade Runners are all replicants. Like, every Blade Runner is a replicant. And I liked that. Screen Rant, or somewhere, 
Summer posted an article about how it plays that ambiguously still, and I was like, I don't think so. I don't know. I, I think it's still a little ambiguous. Really? Yeah, because I think it's saying that like every rep, every Blade Runner now is a replicant, mm-hmm. and maybe not necessarily before the blackout. So I don't feel like it's saying either way with regards to Harrison Ford. Okay. I, I mean, I think it's Ridley Scott says that the movie goes and confirms that he's a replicant, but right. then Ridley Scott is also crazy. So <laughs> it's uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> okay fair enough yeah so i don't know i mean uh, that's not how i took it but right okay um and then i really liked how uh i don't know the character's name but neander wallace is kind of like right hand woman who yeah. is his assassin i liked how much she looked like rachel yes i thought that was great mm-hmm. i thought that was a really 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 cool touch that was a good parallel i agree yeah um we spent too much time with the horse but i liked the parallel of the horse and the unicorn mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really, like, good decision. I really liked the end of this movie. I feel like the last 40 minutes of it is really good. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the movie's, like, finally kicking in the high gear. Mm-hmm. And then you're a little sad that it's over at that point. Because mm-hmm. I think that's, like, when it finally got really interesting. Yeah, that final scene is awesome, though. Yeah, like, fantastic. It's so good. And there's so much there yeah. that, like, you can unpack, like... I there's this theory floating around that I'm kind of into right now in that it's a little bit fight clubby, it's a little bit new hardy of everything with Ryan Gosling is fake and the movie's a false memory implanted into Deckard hmm. to bring him back to the daughter. Hmm. And I think the movie supports that. But I also think, I think this is one of the rare, like, really good ambiguous movies. I think it's the best ambiguous movie I've seen since Inception, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, I think there is an argument against that, too. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard it yet, but I think there is one. Okay. I don't see how the movie supports that. But, like, why does he have a fake memory about some guy whose life he isn't living or experience why would he have somebody else's memory i don't get that that doesn't make any sense to me so i think it's the movie is actually told from her perspective Uh and it's her building out the backstory for him Uh and then once we get to him interacting with deckard Uh is when deckard's memory kind of kicks in so it's almost this frame story Mm. that we have because she talks about how um so, so, so there's this character who is this kind of memory maker for replicants. She implants replicants with false memories, mm-hmm. but she also is the daughter that's in question. She's the child in question. Mm-hmm. Um, that both sides want to either kill or control or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And she's Rachel's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's, she's this really kind of special being. Um, but she's charged with the task of implanting false memories into replicants to make them think they're human. But she has this conversation with Ryan Gosling early in the film about how she always adds an element, like, about how real stuff is illegal, but she always puts real stuff in there. And I think the horse is kind of like the parallel there between the unicorn. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the biggest evidence for it is Ryan Gosling looking at the snow mm-hmm. right at the end of the movie. It holds a really long time on his hand looking up at the snow. And then when we cut into the building, she's turned around watching snow fall. And 
she tells Deckard to hang on a minute mm-hmm. while she's finishing up when she's what she's doing. Which, when Ryan Gosling first comes in, she's in the middle of doing something, and she immediately drops what she's doing and turns around and starts addressing him. Hmm. So it sounds like she wants to bring that story in for a landing. Okay. Hmm. Okay. All right. Interesting. I don't. I feel like the movie's like pretty straightforward. So okay. To me, like I don't. I don't feel like there's really any sort of like meta thing going on there. But okay. That's probably the. The snow stuff is the most compelling part of it in some way to me. Yeah. Uh, Mark Millar. Yes, yeah. that Mark Millar. Uh-huh. He's the one who like really cracked this theory uh-huh. with the help. It was weird. I kind of saw a little bit of it happen in real time via Twitter. Mm-hmm. He was tweeting about it, which is weird because I don't follow him. But I saw him tweeting about it somehow. And him and Seth Rogen and Jordan Vote Roberts kind of like had this tweet chain mm-hmm. of kind of figuring this out and then he like typed it all up Mm -hmm. and it was pretty compelling um let me see if i can find it while you talk about like themes and okay so the big aspect of the movie in comparison to the first movie which was about kind of like what the difference between humans and replicants and what is a human and all this stuff i would say a big aspect of this movie is kind of free will versus submission Mm -hmm. and the idea that Ryan Gosling's character is kind of just meant to go and obey. Um, and But he has larger wants and desires that kind of seep through throughout the film. And then he actually has two sides there, or well, maybe three sides in some ways. They're trying to use him for their own benefit. They've got, they've got the police who want the kid killed. You've got uh, Wallace who wants the kid alive so he can go and create more replicants because he wants to use them as like a workforce, like slave labor. And then there's the replicant uprising or alliance or whatever you want to call them who they want to have the child as like a symbol for the revolution and he, and they want him to go and kill Deckard so Deckard doesn't reveal the child's location mm-hmm. and he kind of rejects all three of those yeah and does his own thing in the end and he kind of puts his will on top of it and I thought that was really effective because he like chooses to live and control his own destiny mm-hmm. and then you know he pays the ultimate price for it and like i kind of knew somewhere along the line that he was supposed to die but i found his death to be really like effective it, it yeah. kind of punched me in like yeah in the gut it's great in a way that Wave doesn't always mm-hmm. succeed at doing because i think this movie had been cold just like a replicant but it like its emotions kind of seep through in the right times yeah and so it fit his sensibilities i, I kind of feel like he's the replicant of filmmaking so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's trying to approximate human emotion mm-hmm. but not like but this movie is actually really effective and um i really like that aspect of it i mean another big aspect to it is i was i was reading this it's not really an original thought for me um but there's a lot of focus on eyes. The mm-hmm. movie opens up with an eye. Mm-hmm. The way that in the past it would go and identify replicants is by checking their eyes. Mm-hmm. The um, Wallace himself is blind. Mm-hmm. He's almost like a see no evil kind of yeah. type, like yeah. which I think is interesting. And that's the contrast with, like at the end of the movie, I think Ryan Gosling's kind of seeing the world like for the first time with his own eyes when he mm-hmm. dies and has, he has his eyes open. And he's like looking into the snow mm-hmm. and the resistance of the replicants. He, the leader has is missing an eye. And I, I don't, oh, yeah. So I don't think that they're seen quite clearly in the way that, like, Ryan Gosling sees clearly at the end, where mm-hmm. he's not, like, a slave to fate necessarily. Yeah. In the way they're becoming slaves in a different way, I feel like, in terms of they're fighting this revolution. Not to say, that, like, fighting against slavery makes you a slave. But, <laughs> right. But, like, they 
they're like on their own like path and Ryan Gosling's like free of all those paths in right. a way. And so I think it's about like seeing things clearly and the world clearly in a way that maybe other people can't, which I thought was interesting. Uh, so there's more to chew on in this movie than like the first movie was kind of just like, what even is a human? Yeah. <laughs> so I hate that theme. Yeah. That's what I've learned is like most movies that have that theme never work for me like ex machina is like an okay movie yeah it's all right but like there's good performances yeah. in that and like it's a pretty efficiently mo- told movie but it, that theme does nothing for me like, like the the robots are the real humans and the humans yeah. are the real emotionist robots there's all like along. no conversation in that for yeah. me whatsoever like, like oh, cool yeah <laughs> like, like, yeah okay okay yeah <laughs> like okay yeah, okay, so here's Malar's theory. Um, he does a lot of building up to it. Um, so he talks about the horse being a visual relative to the unicorn. And then um, he talks about how his... This is flimsy. Um, this is probably the flimsiest part of it for me, is his name. Uh his his Ryan Gosling's name is K, mm-hmm. and then he goes by Joe later on. And if you put that together, you can make joke, mm-hmm. um, Joe K joke. Um, but then he the 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 compelling part for me is like I said the 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 unicorn and horse parallel, um, and how the girl talks about she leaves little clues in the memories for the replicants, um, and. Uh, the snowstorm happening in the background when he walks, when Harrison, when Deckard walks in, you know, the snow, it goes from snowing outside on Ryan Gosling to her looking at snow as she's kind of finishing up the story of Ryan Gosling's existence Mm -hmm. because she's accomplished her goal of bringing Deckard Mm -hmm. to her. And also like, I think it also, he, he says it makes the baby being born all the more chilling and amazing because it means two robots just created a new life and man has become obsolete, which is my favorite take on the more human than human thing. Like what we just talked about hating. Mm-hmm. I think taking it in for such a hard, cynical landing like that is right up Denis V in a wave's alley. And so I like that reading of it because I think it fits with Denis V in a wave's point of view and I think that's what makes the ending kind of work because the ending works really, really well in this movie. See, to me, that goes and undercuts the surface ending, which is implying that people have free will, mm-hmm. even replicants, and uh, they can make good decisions. And that would get totally destroyed by the idea that Deckard got manipulated into, like, he's like a pawn again who doesn't really have anything beyond, like, programming or something mm-hmm. like that. Because the first movie is the same way, almost like he's a he's a robot and he has like certain memories and he's kind of just the way he is and that's it. Yeah. Um, to me, that that feels like a way less compelling ending. Okay. I mean, it's it's cynical and maybe it fits Denny Denny view in ways, but I feel like at least the last two movies he's done, while maybe the movie's tone doesn't or his sensibilities don't always fit with the ending that he's trying to do, his ending is trying to be hopeful. Yes. So. Yeah. Th- to me, I, I'm not getting the sense that that's really what the film was about. Yeah, well, like I said, I think it's pretty open-ended, and I yeah. think there's an argument for and against. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to land on either side of it, but I really like that. Yeah. Um, I To me, that fits in with like Blade Runner, because Blade Runner is like pretty cynical, and 
it ends on this hopeful note the first one which is kind of out of place i don't like the yeah um the first one feels like it needs to end more cynically and so this almost feels if it does have that cynical ending feels almost like uh a reparation of that uh almost too happy ending of the original um but it could go either way um like i said i think the ambiguity actually really really works in this movie's favor which is something that I don't really go in for, but it works here. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I, I get that. So, what else about this movie is is worth talking about? Not and, much. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Is I'm coming up with, like, trying, trying to come up with topics to think of for this. And, I mean, there's, like, a there's a decent amount there to chew on, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, I go and think about, yeah, the movie was long, and I feel like I got everything out of it that I yeah, needed for to. Sure. Like, I squeezed everything out. Mm-hmm. And now I'm kind of like over it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I'm ready to see the next thing. Like yeah. it's spooky time. So I just kind of want to go back to watching horror movies. Like, you know, like I don't feel like it's going to be something that sticks with me. No, I don't think so either. Um, it's weird. It's weird. I, I actually had this conversation with uh, Emily Barber because uh, she saw it. And what I said is I think it's a better movie than the original, but no one's going to talk about it in 10 years. Yeah. And people are still going to talk about the original in 10 years. Yes. It's super weird. Because yeah. it's clearly a superior movie. Yes. I think on almost every level. Um, except they'll talk about Deacons, I think. I think they'll talk about this being Deacons' first Oscar win. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a movie that's coming out this year that's going to look better than this. No, I can't either. Like, um, And Dunkirk looked great, but it. Nope. this is like a yeah, whole nother level, level, man. Agreed. Um, maybe the only other thing I could see where it gets talked about is... If you're going to make an unnecessary sequel to something that's really old. <laughs> you know what? Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about that. Yeah. Super unnecessary sequel. Pretty good. Yeah. Like, pretty good. Like, there have been much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been much worse in uh, Harrison Ford's <laughs> yeah. re- revisiting of characters. Yeah, definitely. So, someone c- c- called this, like, the uh, Harrison Ford is a crappy dad trilogy. <laughs> 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 and um yeah it's probably the best one out of that trilogy i actually agree but i think it's the, because the crappy dadness is more justified because he yeah. even has that line of like i had to like yeah, I, yeah. They, he's not he's not really a crappy dad in this no one. yeah like he, he just like he he's almost like a good dad kind of yeah. like he made kind of the right choice yeah. based on the situation yeah, he, he had in. the sacrifice for it mm-hmm. so versus uh indiana jones which was well, I didn't even know I had a son. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the baseline bottom of the trilogy of that. And then yeah. we have Force Awakens, which is, well, it'll be a subject of another podcast. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I have a son. That's all. That, yeah. like, mm-hmm. he, it's like crappy dad, neutral dad, good dad. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so the Harrison Ford is a dad trilogy. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man, that's funny. Um, What I will say is, I did like his performance in this movie a lot. Yeah. Um, I liked that. I don't know if it was him or if it was the script, but I liked that he said like kooky old man things mm-hmm. over the course of the movie. And like, especially in the first couple scenes, like his first line to Ryan Gosling is like asking him if he brought any cheese. Yeah. And I loved that. I thought that was like a really great touch. I thought it was really great because if he's an old man, he's kind of weird and yeah. hasn't interacted with anyone in a while. But if he's a replicant, he's aging and his, like, replicant brain is starting to go, too. Um, 
And there's another moment like that when they're fighting and uh, the Elvis hologram is going on and he's they're just like in the middle of fighting and he's like, I like this song. And you're like, what? But that's totally how like a kooky old man who hasn't seen anyone forever would act or like a malfunctioning robot would would act. And I was like, that's like cool touches. Um, So they were like they were almost non sequiturs, Mm -hmm. but they like really worked. Yeah, I think it tied into the character pretty well. Yeah. Um, last thing. Did you see the picture of when Harrison Ford punched Ryan Gosling? Mm, no. Okay, so you heard the story, right? Yeah. They were doing the fight scene and Harrison Ford accidentally punched Ryan Gosling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's on camera and there's a picture of it and it's friggin' great. I should go check this out. Yeah, I'll look it up. But that was probably my favorite thing. That happened in all of Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> so this was the uh, glowing recommendation of Blade Runner 2049. Um, I will say if you like Blade Runner, definitely go see it. I don't mm. think you'll be disappointed. If you're interested in Blade Runner, um, you should see it, but you need to watch the first one. Which is a problem. Which is a problem because <laughs> the first one's bad. Yeah. Um, you know, it... it, it it's not a standalone movie, you know, don't go see it if you haven't seen the original. Don't go see it if uh if you don't like uh Blade Runner. Um well, I went to see it. There's the picture. Oh yeah. Yeah, he he definitely got punched. <laughs> um I like I like Ryan Gosling's face in this picture. You guys can google it because he's making like a cartoon character got punched in the face mm-hmm. face. <laughs> um and it's great. So I think I think it's a decent sci-fi movie. I don't know if it's the best sci-fi movie we've gotten this year. Um, I think I liked War for the Planet of the Apes a little bit more than this. Yeah. I like John Wick a little bit more than this. Well, yeah. I don't know if John Wick's like a sci-fi movie. I don't know. We got the Hobo Assassin Ninja. <laughs> it's like, it might be like a fantasy movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm just um, joking with you. Yeah. But I think I, I like Logan more than this. Oh yeah, Logan's the best sci-fi movie I've seen this year. Yeah, there we and, go. And Fast and Furious. <laughs> I'm I just, just, I'm just kidding. I did well. That ain't but, wrong. Yeah. Um, good one. Uh, but you know, it's 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 a decent movie. If you like good filmmaking, go check it out. If you like Roger Deakins, definitely see it. See it in IMAX. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you saw it in IMAX. No. Before. Uh, it looks amazing. They did this crazy formatting thing where it takes up the whole IMAX screen the whole time, even though it wasn't shot on IMAX. It's weird, but it looks great. Uh, it looks great on IMAX. It sounds incredible. The sound design on this movie is amazing. Mm. Except like, for um, the lawnmower in the soundtrack occasionally. Yeah, that, okay. <laughs> that Hans Zimmer score, I got a bone to pick with you guys talking about how he outdid himself on this one. Cause that crap is annoying. <laughs> Like, it's a grating soundtrack. It works in the context of the movie, but I would never choose to listen to that crap. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, besides that, though. Yeah. Um, but the like the, the sound effects are great in this movie. They're so good. And in punchy. IMAX, really punchy. The, the In IMAX, like, they really play with the 360-degree sound. Like, I flipped out during... I looked around... When something happened because I thought it was happening in the theater. There was like an announcer voice and I was like, what the hell is that? Oh, that's in the, that's happening directly above me <laughs> in the movie. And then as he walked further away from it, I heard it to the left of me. That's and cool. I was like, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you definitely, 
definitely, definitely, definitely have to see Blade Runner to enjoy this movie. Uh, also, I think it's weird that it is kind of a, a commercial flop um, because everyone loves Ryan Gosling and his movies never get money. Yeah, I feel like he's one of those actors and it's like along with George Clooney and a couple others where we all are supposed to like them and supposedly everybody does, but then nobody sees their movies. Yeah. And like, they're a bigger star than they are a draw, which yeah. is weird. It's but, really strange to me. Yeah. But like, Clooney's had more hits than I think Ryan Gosling has. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. But, um, not, like, that's not the slight either of them. I think they're both very good actors. Yeah, Especially I like Gosling is like, he's going up there, man, in terms yeah, of like my estimation of him. Yeah. Um, but I think that people don't respond well to the choices that they make. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't think that his fan base, Ryan Gosling's fan base, comports with the kind of movie that Ryan Gosling <laughs> yeah, actually it's true. cares about. It's true, man. Because, like, have you seen Only God Forgives? No, that's a crazy ass. Movie. Yeah, I can I can see the people who love the Notebook um mm-hmm. just walk out of that movie probably like ten minutes. Into yeah, it. for sure. Or even like Blue Valentine, which is like still a romantic movie. It's a uh, it's the, like the anti Notebook man. Yeah. Uh, it's a harsh, harsh, harsh movie. But like, I still feel like something like the Nice Guys should have been a massive success for him. Agreed. Like, I that th- doesn't make any sense to me. I feel like that movie, because I just saw it recently mm-hmm. and I thought it was great. Yeah, because uh, it is. Because it is. Uh, I feel like that movie was a victim of coming out during, like, May or something or June. Uh-huh. It came year. out in May. Of okay, last May. Year. That is the wrong time period for that kind of movie. Like, maybe back in 1984 or 5 <laughs> when Lethal <laughs> Weapon came out yeah. and it was a big summer hit. Um, that was that, that would have worked. It's more of like a November play. To yeah, me, you know, yeah. or maybe even like early January, February, yeah. or something like that. It doesn't come. It's but it's still weird to me because like I feel like it still hasn't really found the audience it should. Yeah, even though it came out the same year as he was in La La Land, which honestly has a lot of rabid fans, but it was a pretty modest success. It was mm. a success. But it wasn't like a smash, you know what I yeah. mean? Like people really loved that movie, myself included. But like, it's not like not a lot of people really love that movie. Yeah. Um. You know, it's like a lot of cinephiles really loved La La Land, mm-hmm. and like I know there was the big like Oscar mix up, and like it won a, a decent amount of awards and stuff like that. But like, it's not like as big of a hit as like The Notebook, and like it should have been too. Like, yeah. I don't know why that movie didn't take the world by storm. Yeah, I think. It, uh... Maybe, once again, I feel like it's a victim of maybe bad timing as well. December. It had a weird release schedule. Yeah, yeah, because, like, I found out, oh, yeah, it actually is out now. I guess I'll go and see it. And then, like, I didn't understand when it was coming out. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, when even people who, like, are, you know, not I'm more than moderately interested in film. Yeah. Don't even know when a movie's coming out. You have a problem. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure where Ryan Gosling's career is going. I think he's making good choices personally. I think he's doing good performances. Yeah, uh, but it's not translating into big success. No, but it never has really. I mean, if you go and look at his early career, like, he was nominated for an Oscar for a movie called Half Nelson. Can you tell me what that movie's about? Um, no. Yeah, exactly. Well, you take a full Nelson. Can you do half of it? 
No. Okay. It's uh, he that. plays like a heroin addicted teacher in that movie. Oh. I've seen it. I'm the only person I know who's seen it. He was nominated for an Oscar for that movie. Like, <laughs> um, you know, Blue Valentine I saw. I don't know too many other people who have seen it. Uh, Lars and the Real Girl is a great Ryan Gosling movie and you should see it. The premise is that he's in love with a sex doll, but it's not creepy. It's, it makes way more sense than it sounds. It's a good movie. I promise it's not as creepy as it sounds. My interest went from... Zero percent to one hundred percent. No, it's a good movie. It's and he, it's a good movie because he's great in it. Okay, um, sure. Yeah, he's really good in it. That's and it. then like you should go see the Nice Guys if you haven't. Like that movie's astonishing. It's so good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, it's just so weird to me because like everyone's like Ryan Gosling's great and like he's super classically handsome mm-hmm. and really charming even when he's really quiet. Especially in this movie, like there's a charm about him even though he's like kind of angry and like sad (laughs) um you know it's he's really compelling to watch on screen for most of it Mm -hmm. um but yeah he just like his movies never turn in box office receipts except like the notebook and maybe crazy stupid love yeah maybe crazy stupid love is pretty successful yeah yeah i'd say that that's probably his next biggest hit yeah but then he did like the big short which like got a bunch of awards attention but like not a lot of people saw that Mm -hmm. i don't know I, i will say this there there's kind of an automatic response that I have to him being in a movie when I see him in a still or something like that from a film. I'm like, he looks kind of goofy in this. <laughs> like, when I see him like, in this big trench coat for, like, Blade Runner, I'm like, I don't know, guys. Like, No, nah, he, man, he's all about having cool jackets. Yeah, okay. But, um, like, in the movie it plays right, but mm. there's just something that's kind of weird about seeing him in, like, a genre kind of flick, flick like this. Yeah. That He's, like, too handsome to be in sci-fi. Yeah, and... Not like a Harrison Ford handsome either. Yeah. So like, it, yeah, he's like a pretty boy because like Harrison yeah. Ford's like a roguish, good looks guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a little rugged, and Ryan Gosling's like real pretty. Yeah, which I think is why he gets his nose busted up in most of the movies he's in. That's actually a good point. Because like that. he gets his nose busted up in Only God Forgives and The Nice Guys and this. And, and actually, I think that him getting beat up sells it better. When, yeah, like it makes me buy into his character more then. So. Keep on breaking your nose, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> it's true. Oh, he gets his ass kicked in Nice Guys, actually. Yeah, he does. Man. That, now I just want to go watch the Nice Guys, see. Let's just talk about that instead. Gosh, that movie's so good. <laughs> we actually haven't talked about it since we've seen it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll bring it in for a landing. Uh, thank you guys for listening to episode one. Um, this show is every other week on thatrealperspective.blogspot.com and iTunes. Uh, If you were subscribed to the before and after show feed, nothing's going to change. It's all going to switch over. Uh, There's still going to be some archived uh, before and after show stuff for you to listen to. Um, If you are not subscribed to that feed, uh, I think for the first two weeks we're up, look up the before and after show. It'll be listed as Real Perspective Episode 1, Denny V in a Wave and Blade Blade Runner 2049. And then hopefully by our second episode, we'll have the iTunes feed updated with the new logo and the title and all that stuff. So uh, for this episode, which I don't know how you're listening to, if not, uh, look for that feed. Um, SoundCloud, same thing. It's going to be the before and after show until probably episode two. But this is Real Perspective. Um, You can find me on the internet at mjsmith891 on Twitter. Most of my stuff gets filtered through that. Um, It's a really good resource. I am one of the few people who likes Twitter. Um, I think it's really good for getting 
your links out there and stuff, I write for wordofthenerd.com and keithlovesmovies.com. I haven't written for Keith in a while, but I still consider myself a writer over there. And as soon as my movie pass comes in, I'll be writing for him more often. Um, and I also co-host uh, the Game Mechanics podcast, which you haven't heard yet because it hasn't come out yet. Uh, like I said, this episode, this this show comes out every two weeks. The Game Mechanics is going to come out on the weeks that this doesn't come out. It's going to be a separate feed called The Game Mechanics. Um, episode 1 comes out the week after this, so a week from today, uh, when when this is released, which is Thursday, October 12th, 2017. You can find The Game Mechanics. That's one. That's a podcast that I co-host with my good friend Ryan Buell, who you may recognize as the former co-host of The Before and After Show. And it's he and I talking about board games. Uh, the first three episodes are going to be a little bit different. And then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of it. Um, so yeah, you can check out that next week. Uh, until then, share this episode with a friend. Let them know that this exists. Let them know that we're doing this and you like our opinions on things. And, uh, you know, a lot of you probably aren't seeing Blade Runner 2049 because you are unfamiliar with it and it's a lot of work to get into it. So hopefully this provided some sort of catharsis for being part of the conversation for you. And um, now you can fake your way through conversations about Blade Runner 2049. Heck yeah, you can. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see you in two weeks with something. <laughs>